Uh, yeah, so page 555, Psalm 24, starting at verse 1. So it's Psalm of David, a psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Thank you, Sophie, so much for raising that to us. And please to keep that open in front of you. We're going through... Um, the Psalms uh, one at a time that match the year. So we're looking at Psalm 24 for 2024. I'm hoping that in 126 years' time, Trinity Church Islington will still be looking at the Psalms and they'll finally make it to the end of the book. I'd, I'd love us to pray just as we begin um, that um, this will have significance for us personally as we relate to God in our everyday lives. So if you'd like to, then join me in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're standing together at the start of a new year, and I pray that as we do so, we would quite deliberately submit ourselves to your sovereign care. Please help us see the way ahead through your eyes, and I pray that we be taught by your word and and guided by your spirit, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. And this week ago, uh, this week I had a go at this quiz, which you'll see um, up on, on the screen. It's a quiz about what's going to happen in 2024. And uh, it asks you to guess the results of the elections, both in the UK and the presidential elections in America. Um, guess the results of the Olympics. Um, guess the results of the Oscars. Um, and um, guess the results of the Eurovision Song Contest. And uh, basically, lots of questions about who's going to win. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how I've done, of course, because they're going to email me the results in 12, 12 months' time and give me, give me my marks to see how I did in terms of the predictions. I, I went for Ireland. It's normally for the Eurovision Song Contest. I think they've won the most times. It's a fairly safe bet. How are you feeling about 2024? How are you feeling? Uh, maybe confident. Uh, maybe you're not quite so sure. Another pandemic, maybe? Who knows? News about your health. I don't know whether 2024 will be one of those years that goes down in the history books. In 20, 30 years' time, people will be learning about the events of 2024, or whether it'll just be one of those years where nothing really happens. It just gets forgotten. But I do know that if we're Christians, that the God of the Bible will be right by our side. Um, And that he is one. 
And that's the news of the psalm that, we, that Sophie's just read to us, the psalm we're going to be thinking about, Psalm 24 for 2024. Um, have a look down, if you've got it there on page 555. Have a look down at verse 8. And uh, this is what it says. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Uh, he's one. Uh, these are song lyrics written by King David. He's put his name at the top. And um, in fact, Psalms 22, 23, and 24 go together like a sort of EP. Uh, he's written the lyrics. And you can see those three Psalms just across the page. Um, they go together. So Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are words spoken by Jesus at the cross when he dies. He's tortured to death by the Romans. He quotes that psalm. It's the psalm of someone in pain. Um, and then Psalm 23, that famous psalm, um, The Lord's my shepherd, I lack nothing. Um, that's a song about someone who's at peace, you know, being led, provided for by, by shepherds. Um, and then Psalm 24, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And this is someone who participates in, in God's victory. God's won an incredible victory. And the person writing the psalm is participating in it. And another person puts the titles for those three psalms in another way. Um, firstly, the cross, verse, uh, Psalm 22. The crook. Psalm 23, as Jesus leads us, and then the crown in, um, in Psalm 24. The cross, the crook, and the crown. Three songs written by David, knowing that there's going to be a better king than him who's, who's on the way. So as we read them as, as Christians in the 21st century, we acknowledge that, that Jesus died on the cross, and we want to let him lead us, and we're persuaded that one day we will share in his glory, and we're going to enjoy his reign, the cross, the crook, and the crown. You see? Did you get that? But the question for us is, uh, who will win? Who, who will reign? And the psalm begins telling us the answer to that in verses 1 and 2. This is what we're going to call it. The world belongs to the Lord. The world belongs to the Lord. You see that title up on the screen, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Uh, it's funny the way the song's written, um, Psalm 24. It, it gradually zooms in like, um, like on Google Earth, you know, when you, you start with the sort of big picture and then you zoom in to some street in Islington. Um, in verse 3, you notice we're on a mountain. Do you see that? And then um, in verse 7, it's just one set of gates. It's the city gates that we arrive at. But in verses 1 to 2, this is the super wide-angle view of everything. It's the whole world. Um, I've spoken to well, at least three people today who've recently been on an airplane um, to another part of the world. The world is a, it's, it's a vast place, isn't it? Is absolutely huge. Um, but wherever you've been, or over Christmas, maybe you've travelled around this country, um, perhaps you've been to another country, perhaps you've just stayed in London, but wherever you've been, that your location belonged to the Lord. You, you can't be somewhere outside of God's ownership. 
You just can't. Every tiny corner of this world has God's name on it. Not just the churches. People think they can avoid God by avoiding going to church. Um, But every square inch of our home and of our office, of our gym, if if you go to the gym of our school, it it belongs to God because he made it. He fashioned it. he, he, He created it. It's all his. Um, verse 2 tells us about that. It's this sort of echo of Genesis 1, actually. Um, God founded the dry land on the seas. He, it, the, the, this world is mostly water, isn't it? A um, good proportion of it is water, but he, he sort of pushed up. That's why it says literally pushed up places for us to live on, dry land. We're on some of that right now. He founded the dry land on the seas. He he built a place for us to live on this watery planet, and it is entirely dependent on him. Have you ever thought that? Every breath you take depends on God. Um, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus sustains this world by his powerful word. He sustains this world by his powerful word. If Jesus stopped speaking, the whole of creation would go back to nothing. Have you ever thought that? All of it. The earth is the Lord's. It says in Psalm 24, the Lord. That's, that's not just a title. That's a name. That's God's personal name. Do you remember, do you remember that's how God introduces himself to, to Moses? He said that's his name. David isn't just saying that God made the world. He said that the, the God who, who made the world is the God who made promises to Abraham and who introduced himself to Moses, who makes and keeps promises. His name means I am, I exist. And um, by implication, the name of every other God is effectively I am not. They don't exist. He's the true and the living God. You see, it, it, it's a universal claim. The earth is the Lord's. But in the way that you see those first two lines run in parallel, um, the focus is on humanity, it's on human beings, um, and all who live in it. That's how it it goes at the end of verse 1. You see the way those two lines run in parallel. The focus is on the people that God has made. You will never meet a person who doesn't belong to God. Never. I don't know whether you remember this moment from the Champions League final, G. And the footballer Kaka, one of the best footballers to ever lived, he, he won the 2007 Champions League final and pulled off his shirt to reveal the words, I belong to Jesus. Do you remember this? It's a little while ago now. N- knelt down, pulled off his shirt, and showed the world that he belongs to Jesus. That shirt fits everyone. Um, whether it's acknowledged or not. In essence, you're wearing that shirt. (laughs) Whether you want to show it to the world or not, you belong to Jesus. We will never meet a person who wasn't made by God. Maybe you need to acknowledge that about yourself. Maybe this is the year that you you acknowledge that for yourself. I spent a number number of years fighting against that. I didn't want to acknowledge that, that I belong to God and that I needed to come back to him through Jesus. I... I, I, I didn't like that. It didn't sit right with me. I was too proud until I gave in and I admitted what I already knew, that I belonged to him anyway. 
And perhaps deep down you know that. And, and this is the year you're going to acknowledge it for the first time. And you're going to return to the God who made you. Perhaps you want to come along to Christianity Explored. Or perhaps you know someone who, who has begun to suspect that they belong to God and they might want to come along to Christianity Explored. Maybe someone you brought along to the carol service. Bring them back next Sunday. And there's a sign up on the, um, on the QR code. Chen will say a bit more about that. Um, later on. Perhaps you need to make that a priority. Perhaps someone you know needs to make that a priority to return to the God in, who they have their, in whom they have their origin. To admit that actually, yes, you do belong to God. And you need to make peace with him. Maybe you need to acknowledge that about, about yourself. Or maybe you need to acknowledge that about the people round about you. Uh, the people that you know, your friends and family and um, I mean, it, it's true that we need, to, we need to call people from every culture to, to reconnect with the God who made them. There's no, sort of, there's, there's, there's no country in the world where God is a, is a foreigner. It, God made people from every culture and, and every language. Um, we can call people all over the world to come back to him. Some of our mission partners are overseas telling people about Jesus. But we're never to forget who people belong to, the people that we know. You know, whoever you interact with today or maybe you're going back to school or or going back to work tomorrow morning, um, whoever you're going to interact with, that person has God's name written all over them. All over them. Um, Treat them with care. Um, Dawn has a very good friend called Sally. Um, uh, they were students together. They've known each other since they were 18. And um, she was Dawn's bridesmaid on the, on the day that she got married. And, uh, and they're still very good friends. And shortly after Dawn and I started going out, so uh, we were 21 when we started going out, she wrote me a letter. We didn't know each other very well. Um, but she wrote me a letter and she said, please remember that Dawn doesn't belong to you She's only lent to you by God. So please be careful how you look after her. She's been given to you on trust. That's a good letter to receive. Quite bold on Sally's part. But I'm glad she said that. The world belongs to God, sings David. You you will never meet anyone who isn't made by God, so respect them, even as you tell them about the person who made them. The earth is the Lord's and all who live in it. But second section, verses 3 to 6, only a blameless person can come close to the Lord. That's the, um, that's the second bit. Because the psalm zooms in further, and then suddenly we're on the hill of Jerusalem. That's, that's the hill, the hill of Zion, uh, where the temple was going to be built up at the top there in Jerusalem. And um, perhaps David, as he thinks about the hill of Jerusalem, as he thinks about Zion... Is thinking about that time when the ark was brought up the hill in 2 Samuel 6. The ark is a sort of gold box which symbolizes God's presence, symbolized God's presence in, in the Old Testament. And as it was brought up the hill, you might, you might read 2 Samuel 6 later on if you want to. As he was brought up the hill, someone called Uzzah reaches out and, and touches the ark. It says he took hold of it irreverently and he was struck down dead. He died on the spot. 
Um, and everyone was afraid, it says. Um, even David. I mean, he said he didn't want the ark, and he, he didn't want the ark in Jerusalem after that. Um, and it took three months for him to get over that and, and for him to let the ark into the city. Hardly surprising. And, and, and so when the ark was finally in the tabernacle, and the question in his mind was probably something like verse four, wouldn't you? Th- uh, verse three, wouldn't you think? Um, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Um, you can see the question, can't you? And um, with the ark coming up to Jerusalem, who's going to be able to come up with it? Um, and David realizes that it might just be possible, so he starts to list four characteristics which would suit someone who could walk up with the ark. Four qualifications. Clean hands, a pure heart, not trusting an idol, and not swearing by a false god. So to follow the ark, in other words, you're looking for moral purity, complete moral purity. Clean hands. Have a look at your hands for a minute. Um, they're clean. Now, hands are a symbol of, of what you've done. They tell a story about, about what you've done. This is talking about cleanness in a moral sense. And we still talk about doing things underhandedly, don't we, or, or being caught red-handed. Or um, when you scrub up for surgery, you spend a lot of time cleaning your hands. You have sort of special brushes and things and special ways of washing your hands, and, and you've got to get your hands absolutely clean. You know, we, you don't just walk into an operating theatre if, you know, if you've just emptied the kitchen bin. I mean, that, that's actually going to kill someone if you take bacteria into, a, into an operating theatre. Is that serious? And David asks, how clean are your hands really? Are your hands clean enough to reach out and touch the ark? Would you do that? And God goes further still, not, not just our hands, but our hearts. In other words, not just what you can see, but what's inside and, and our thought lives and our characters and the resentments we carry and that internal criticism and, and all that self-centeredness. Um, how are we doing with that? and the idols we worship. Um, you know, when other people see us doing the right thing, they admire us for that, um, but God knows the real reason that we're doing it, uh, and he knows all the idols we're serving. Um, and swearing falsely, all those commitments we never saw through, all those broken promises, those glib pledges that we never really intended to fulfill. If someone's kept clean in all those areas, David says, and they stand a chance on God's holy hill and they won't be found dead like Uzzah was. Um, how confident do you feel? Um, David's making a similar point to, uh, to the point in Psalm 1. Do you remember the be- beginning of the whole book? Um, as you read the book of Psalms, in Psalms 1 and 2 stand like the sort of gateposts as you walk into the book. Um, Psalm 2, interestingly, talks about God's holy hill, where the king lives. And then Psalm 1, do you remember what it says? Who is blessed? Someone who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. Someone who doesn't stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Moral purity. Psalm 15, it goes like this. Do you remember? Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? The one whose way of life is blameless who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart. That's a New Year's resolution if I ever heard one. 
And, and the point of the whole of the first book of Psalms, Psalm 1, 1 to 41, is that David isn't this person, and nor are we, nor are we. We're not those people. And, and David wants us to look for the person who is. And ironically, of course, when Jesus turns up with, a, with clean hands and a pure heart, he walks up the hill to Jerusalem and is utterly hated. The one person who actually belonged there, who could have held onto the ark the whole way up, is totally rejected and put in place with nails. The most dreadful crime. And it seems at that point as if everything is lost. That's the thing. Only the blameless person can come close to the Lord, and that person was killed. What are we going to do? Well, in the original, you'll see from the footnote that there's a little word that comes at this point in the original, and it says cellar. And no one knows what that means. I like to think that it means a, a piano solo, but I, I'm, I'm probably wrong. Um, people seem to think that it probably means um, pause to think. Just pause at this point and take stock. That's probably what it means. It seems to come at the moment in, in the Psalms where there's something to think about. So why don't we just stop? I'm going to stop for like 20 seconds. Let's think about that. Which of us has a pure heart? Which of us has clean hands? What are we going to do if we can't approach the Lord? Let's, um, let's stop and think, shall we? I'll leave, it, I'll leave it a, a shortcut. Well, it's a good time to stop and think because we're just about to zoom in even further. We've had the wide-angle view in verses 1 and 2, the whole earth, and then we've, we've zoomed into a sort of geographical feature, which is a hill, the, the Mount Zion in, in, in Jerusalem. And now we're going to come in a lot closer, zooming right into the city gates of, of Jerusalem. Verse 7, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who's the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. It, it's not just that the whole earth belongs to the Lord or that you have to be pure to approach the Lord, but that there is this victory that belongs to the Lord. And that's our, that's our third and final point. The victory belongs to the Lord. Um, who wants to know some local history? Of course you do. What have you? Something, nothing like local history, is there? Um, you see the picture on the screen? It's of, does anyone know where that is? Does anyone recognize it? Yes, Paternoster Square. Um, well identified, is he? I'm impressed. So that's, in fact, um, Temple Bar. And it's been in various locations, but it's now in Paternoster Square, um, just between Black's camping store and, and Paul 
the, uh, the coffee shop. Um, and you've probably walked underneath it a few times. It's just right, literally right next to St. Paul's Cathedral. And Temple Bar, in its various forms, this is the, this is the sort of latest incarnation. It's, it's only a few hundred years old. Um, built by Sir Christopher, designed by Sir Christopher Wren. Um, but Temple Bar has been a gate to the city of London since, well, it was first mentioned in 1293. 1293. And... When Elizabeth I defeated the Spanish Armada, you might, you might have heard of that, she came to London and she came to the Temple Bar and, and there was a victory procession through the gate, through Temple Bar, and the Lord Mayor gave her a pearl-encrusted sword. Um, that's true. And even now, apparently, so this last happened in, in October... Um, when, when the monarch comes to the city of London, like King Charles did, they pause at the temple bar, and the Lord Mayor says, who is it? And the monarch says, it's the King of England. And then the monarch's presented with the same sword, pearl-encrusted sword. You can see it down at Mansion House. Uh, in fact, it made an appearance in the coronation. The same pearl-encrusted sword that... Elizabeth I was presented with when she led the victory procession after the Spanish Armada. There you are. Don't say you don't learn things at Trinity Church, Islington. There's something similar going on here um, at the end of Psalm 24. Because the Lord is coming to the gates of the city um, and he's asked, who is it? Effectively, in, in verse 8, and we learn it is the Lord who has been mighty in battle. You won an incredible victory. Or the Lord, um, in verse 10, the Lord Almighty, literally the Lord of armies. So what do you do? You fling open the gates and you let him in. And, 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 the, and the repetition just dispels any doubt that that's the right thing to do. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. He's come in triumphal procession. You see, that's, that's the picture. And you just fling the doors open. Of course you're going to let him in. And that's the reason why this psalm is sung on Ascension Day, traditionally, um, in the church, which is the day that we remember Jesus going back to heaven after his resurrection. Uh, that's why, as Sarah mentioned, um, there's the choir piece called The Messiah, and it's sung all over London at Christmas. You might have gone to it, maybe you've gone to a recital of it this, this year. And these words are sung in The Messiah when Jesus rises from the dead. Because he's going back to heaven in incredible victory. He's won this amazing triumph over, um, over death. He, he, he walked out of the grave. He didn't go back through the gates of Jerusalem, um, but the ancient doors of heaven were flung open to welcome Jesus, David's obedient descendant. He has won this incredible victory over death. And, and he, as he goes back into heaven, it's like he blows the doors off, you see, in triumphal procession. And you're probably thinking, what has any of this got to do with 2024? I've got bills to pay and a job to try and find this is how, just as we finish. 
I don't know who's going to win the election. I have no idea who's going to win the Eurovision Song Contest. Absolutely none. But wherever I go this year, down the pub or, or, or down the job centre, I will not tread on ground that God does not own. I can't. And I will not meet a person who God has not made. I'll treat them with care, and, and, and where I can, I'll tell them about their maker. And I've got to accept that I'm not worthy to approach God. That is, that is important. We can't just saunter into his presence. If I, if I try and do that, I, I need to know that I should be as dead on the path as Uzzah was. But I, I can be confident that Jesus will lead me up that hill if I've committed myself to him, that in his shadow I'm counted as morally pure. And, and that with him I can approach the throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews, with confidence. And that's going to affect the way that I see myself. And that's going to affect the way that I come to church. And, and it's going to affect the way that I pray. Whatever I've done, I can say to God, thank you for making my hands clean and my heart pure. And then thinking about the cross and, and the crook and, and the crown. Psalms 22, uh, 23 and 24. Whatever happens to me in, in 2024, another pandemic, news about my health. I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm unafraid of death. I can't be afraid of death. Because Jesus has flung open the gates of heaven. He's conquered death on my behalf. And I just have to commit to him. And he would lead me up that hill and through the open gates of heaven. He's blown the doors off for you and me, if we're Christians. So that even if I die, nothing in heaven and earth can prevent me from going and being with him forever. That could change a year ahead, couldn't it? Should we pray that it will? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is the King of glory. Thank you that he's won a great victory. Thank you that he marched in triumphal procession into heaven, uh, that his victory is totally complete. And so I pray that we would put our hand in his, uh, that he would uh, lead us up the hill, that we would know that we have moral purity um, in him. And so I pray that that would give us confidence this year, that we would approach your throne of grace with confidence so we would know who we are that we would know who we're going that we would know that this is your world that we're walking around in that every single person has been created by you and i pray that would give us confidence whatever comes our way in the year to come i pray that would give us confidence in you and we ask these things in your name amen